0: Hello there, everyone. This is Dan Figella here with Tech Emergence, where we interview entrepreneurs, researchers, and investors in the domain of emerging technology. We've been lucky enough to have a lot of great thinkers on the line with us. From Ben Goertzel with artificial intelligence, and Aubrey de Grey, researcher and thinker in life extension. Recently, Nick Bostrom from the Future of Humanity Institute. Today, I'm lucky enough to have a, uh, a monthly uh, contributor to Scientific American, in addition to the publisher of Skeptic Magazine, Mr. Michael Shermer, on the line with me right now to speak about skepticism applied to emerging tech. Michael, how are you? Fine, thanks for having me on. Yes, indeed. Glad to be able to have you here. I, I uh, Simply because it, it really is your ballpark, this uh, this domain of, of sort of junk science and, and skepticism, um, what for you, if you could kind of nutshell it, what is... I, I guess, you know, the term I know is junk science, but, you know, kind of false and very much unproven hypotheses that become uh, very popular. How, how and why do those come about, even in domains full of very, very intelligent people?
1: Um, well, first of all, in general, um, you know, uh, I think people tend to be overly optimistic about the future of technology in terms of things like immortality, because I think it, um, it touches like a deeper religious-type impulse that, huh. uh, you know, this desire to live forever and so on. Like the, I mean, the singularity to people and, and people like Ray Kurzweil, you know, I love the work that they're doing. I think it's fantastic. Definitely, uh, it definitely has strong parallels to religious beliefs. I mean, you, you go to their conferences and it's, it's almost like a tent revival meeting in the sense of, you know they they you know are offering these this future that you know where we get to live forever and so on and you know too many people and groups throughout history have made promises like that not one has come true yet that you we know of and uh, so I you know I think skepticism is the appropriate um, response until you know we have proof otherwise uh, you know there's just certain biological constraints on aging and uh, longevity. And so, you know, I hope they're
0: right. <laughs> yeah, no, so, I, I you had mentioned that at the Singularity right. Summit, too. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I hope that they're, uh, they're correct on that immortality thing.
1: Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, but, but what we'd like to be true is not necessarily what is true. So, um, you know, the burden of proof is on them to, to, to Go ahead and make the case. Like the cryonics people, you know, they make certain claims about this or that technology that's going to... Help us revive people that are frozen later. Okay, that's great. I hope I hope they do it. But, you know, you gotta you gotta
0: prove otherwise. You have to show that you actually can do that. Yeah, it'd be it'd be great to get Walt Disney back. That sure would be cool. Um, so okay. it, with with respect to um, we'll get into a couple of kind of particular emerging technologies and sort of your your specific thoughts there in a second, Michael. But in, in terms of how how um uh, belief in 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 hypotheses or, or, you know, trajectories of whether it's science, society, etc., um, being maybe b- believed without the ne- the necessary logical underpinnings. Um, how, how, how does that go about happening in in spaces that are again full of folks that that we might think are, you know, relatively familiar with the scientific process um, and and you know respectful of it and applying of it in many different respects. How how does kind of, you know, maybe we'd say junk science or however you might kind of frame phrase the, the terminology, um, how does that still flourish in those domains?
1: Um, so, I'm sorry,
0: just, can you ask me it again? Yes, so we're we're speaking about, uh, there, there's certainly some, you know, I mean, if you go into the Amazon jungle and, and you, you you bring with you a television or something like that and, and you know, you can show them some magic and, and convince them that, you know, you... Uh, your magic or something like that, you know, you might imagine that those folks might believe you. At the same time, you might not think that a bunch of PhDs from very reputable schools working on any given domain, be it, you know, I know you have a current focus on the Skeptic Magazine on on nutrition and food, if I'm not mistaken right now, uh, you know, emerging technologies, what we're going to be talking about today, even in these spaces where there's plenty of very very well-educated. Folks, there's still these hypotheses that, that get to kind of a level of hype beyond their evidence. How does that proliferate in otherwise scientific domains? Uh, well, um, first of all, being smart and educated doesn't
1: uh, protect you against believing weird things. In fact, if anything, smart and educated people are, are better at rationalizing beliefs that they hold for non-smart reasons. And, uh, like most of the beliefs we hold, we hold not, not for rational reasons, but because we desire these beliefs to be true for other reasons. And that uh, the, the smarter you are and more educated you are, the better you are able to find evidence to support what you want to be true. And uh, so that just explains why you know Nobel Prize winners, you know, speak out about areas they know nothing about with great confidence and are sure that they're right. And, you know, just because they have this great confidence to being able to do that. So our minds are that's more like lawyers than scientists, you know, trying to marshal a case for their client, John the lawyer, and, uh, regardless of the evidence, you're, just, you're supposed to gather the evidence as much as you can in support of your client and, and, and get rid of the negative evidence, and um, you know, that's how our brains work, but in science you're not allowed to do that, you're supposed to look at all the evidence, including the counter-evidence to your theory, and so even though scientists are people and they, they're subject to that too, the scientists present by forcing you to look at contrary evidence, so that's the problem that, uh, that I see. You know that you know these beliefs, like conspiracy theories, for example. You know their the myth is that they're held by a bunch of you know sort of nerdy, weird, uh, fringe people living in the basements of their
0: parents. Yeah, shop. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, but it's not true. No, it's just that's not true at all. Um, you know, in fact, um, you know most conspiracy theories, like a third of Americans. Uh, you know, in the 9/11 truth—that you know that you know that uh, you know, the 9/11 was an inside job by the Bush administration. Another one third of Americans believe Obama is not a U.S. citizen. Now those two cohorts are, are on different ends of the political spectrum, as you can guess. Uh, but still, that's you know, a third. i mean, that, that's not, you know, that, that aren't just fringers. That's not just fringers. That's a lot of mainstream normal people.
0: Interesting. Um, and uh, I could go on for days picking your brain, and I know you have books on the subject of uh, how we combat that and understand our own heuristics, and I, I'm, I'm relatively fascinated with uh, those kind of inner workings and processes and how we can apply that to ourselves. Um, I, I like the quote a lot on uh, the Skeptic Magazine's website by Spinoza when he says, I have made a ceaseless effort not to ridicule, not to bewail, not to scorn human actions, but to understand them, and I think that speaks to the The objective uh, of of really grasping truth, rather than you know, like you had said, playing lawyer rather than scientist and beating down the walls for your cause, regardless of the evidence. With that being said, I'm certain I don't identify myself as either an optimist or a pessimist, but I'm interested in your thoughts on this, Michael. When it comes to the the singularity. the, the 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 world that that generally swirls around in, whether you know if we talk about the various emerging technologies in that field, you had mentioned um cryogenics. you, you know we had talked about life extension, potentially cognitive enhancement via. Um, you know, technologies in, in the coming decades or what have you, uh, being able to exist in, in, you know, virtual worlds per chance, uh, having volitional control over our, our emotion, a- any of those various uh, topics that might be covered at, at an event such as the Singularity Summit, where you spoke not all that long ago. Um, what are some of those that you're maybe particularly skeptical of or you think have gotten a lot more traction than maybe is warranted, and why?
1: Um, well, I, I think... And the way to think about it is that the best thing we can do is just to try to make small incremental improvements in health, quality of life, longevity. It's not just living longer uh, that we want to achieve. It's living longer at a at high quality. You know, if, if you're 150 but you're, you know, bedridden and you can't move for 20 years, that it really does serve nobody well. Um, you know, and, and the way that's going kind to of come about is the same way that cars have done the difference, like in the, the jalopies of the 1950s and cars today, in the 1950s, they were predicting you know flying cars, and people joke today, you know, where's my flying car?
0: Yeah, well, the cars uh... we
1: have are actually really quite good, uh, and, and they've become that way incrementally. Uh, year, year after year, each new year's model is slightly better than the previous year's model. You know, there's you can hardly tell the difference, but yeah, in the course of 10 years, 20 years, 30, 40, 50 years. Now today's cars are just so much better than they were, uh, and, and that's what's really been happening with health and, and longevity. We're just creeping up the ladder slowly but surely. Just you know, hip replacements, and, you know, organ transplants, better nutrition, exercise, just getting a better feel for what it takes to be healthy. And, you know, people just sort of working through all those different factors, and and uh, and, and so the idea that. We're going to have one big giant uh, discovery made, you know, that's going to change everything. I, I think that's less likely than just small incremental things. Even the you know, DNA sequencing, you know, that's just getting cheaper and cheaper, and you know, those sorts of things are going to, uh, have to add to it, but not in a giant leap, just you know, stepwise. Um, so, you know, I think that's a more realistic uh, approach to looking at it. And, and again, you know, I like the singularity. You know, we could live forever in 2030 is the turning point, but. In reality, I think, you know, it's just, let's just look at next year and then the year after and just, just just try to make it, you know, slightly better than before, <clears throat> rather than a utopian, you know, where everybody gets to love forever and, and, and they're infinitely happy and prosperous and so on. It's, it's, it's too delimiting, I think, or too, too unrealistic to, to think along those
0: lines. Do you think there's some value, maybe if it's not, uh, you know, claiming the inherent truth and inevitability of certain, uh, projections do, do you do you believe in in the, the functional or, or maybe pragmatic benefit of some serious uh, thinking and visioning and, and maybe even potentially planning for futures and 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 uh, you know and, and types of society where we might have vastly uh, longer lifespans or where we might be able to um, exist in some kind of a you know, uh, in, on, on, at least at some level in some kind of a virtual world. Do you see any any value at all, even in a skeptical kind of projection envisioning and visioning and uh, thinking about consequences of those types of emerging technology leaps, or is even that sort of hubbub for you, at least on some level, and why? Um, uh, well, give
1: me an example.
0: Yeah, okay. So, I mean, you know, Bostrom, for example, is thinking a good deal about... Uh, Artificial intelligence, the relatively, you know, in his mind, serious threat of of artificial intelligence being able to uh, attain a, a certain degree of functionality and and uh, the the capacity to build upon itself, maybe to to such, you know, work, to build on itself continuously and a lot more effectively than maybe humans could, and and you know, how that how that might affect society and how it might gain controls that we don't want it to have and how we should program computers if they even start to approach human-level intelligence so that we might save ourselves some fr- from some bigger blunders if some kind of slip-up in this particular domain might happen, something along those lines.
1: Yeah, I think um, the concern about AI turning evil is uh, a dystopian science fiction Perspective that, that, again, not really grounded in reality. I think, you know, at every step of the way of programming computers and then getting smarter, you know, we will remain in control. We can still pull the plug, so to speak. We can program to do this or not do that. I'm not really worried about that. And, you know, before we start panicking and passing laws and restrictions and so forth, let's just keep improving our computers and our artificial intelligence. To make life better, step by step, and just see what happens. You know, it, it, if there's a big catastrophe, we can do some data about then. But it's so unlikely to happen that I'm not worried about it. I, I mean, I'm an I'm an AI optimist, for but I don't think the AI pessimists have any good arguments. You know, good good examples from history when where this happened, and therefore we, we can't do that again. Unlike in politics, where we know well if we try this form of government, government, you know, we know, we're doomed to fail because this
0: has already happened. We don't have anything like that
1: for AI. Yeah, we don't. So I'd I say just, just keep plowing along. Just keep uh, making computers
0: smarter every year. Do you, do you, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I think, I mean, I think the pragmatic benefits, I mean, in, in the present space and time, in all the various systems where, you know, machine learning and its various constituents are being applied, I think that that's sort of where we'll, we'll see the benefits. Do you, do you really even see any any use for that kind of farther out thinking about ramifications of intelligence approaching human levels and about what that might do or mean in other words is is even that sort of like you know get a job or uh, you know go apply AI somewhere useful or or is some degree of that sort of visioning either for the the potential good or the potential bad and thinking through you know policy etc in that domain is even that sort of really unnecessary at this point in your opinion
1: um, no, I don't think it is. It's, uh, um, you know, I, I think it's fine to have the debates, you know, so we're aware of potential pitfalls and, you know, make, make it public and all that, but not just might get political about it. It's not let it's not panic. Uh, you know, people have seen too many dystopian films and books because that's what makes a good narrative story, but that isn't necessarily the way it's going to
0: happen. Got it. <laughs> Um, so just to, to wrap up this this second question then Michael in terms of other other technologies that sort of fit the singularity bill uh, you know we talked about longevity and you were mentioning health and incremental improvements and likening it to automobiles um, what what other technologies in in this particular space or domain we just talked about AI a bit which which others for you are are ones that maybe you feel like the you know the hype level is a little bit beyond sort of the objective evidence level um, well, I'm, I'm fairly
1: optimistic about the future of prosperity, you know, abundance economics, Star Trek economics, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> where everybody has everything that they need. You yep. just have the replicator, and you tell it you want you know, Earl Grey hot, um, you know, like uh, Star Trek. So, but, uh, but I think that's also probably a bit exaggerated on when we're going to get there. I don't think it's going to happen in a decade or two. Um, you know, I think, you know, Bill Gates talks about the extinction of poverty in Africa, well, everywhere, um, you know, within by 2020, 2030 or so, Whoa. maybe 2050 at the latest. But, but, you know, the U.N. definition of poverty is $1. 25 a day. So getting, getting people to make say, 2 bucks a day, that, that's, that's still a long ways from prosperity. It may not be official definition of poverty. So I think, you know, that's going to take a while. I think maybe the end of the century or something like that. Um, and I was pretty optimistic about the overpopulation problem, but the new projections from the UN are not as encouraging as they used to be.
0: So huh, how do you, how do you more mean, more just out of time. curiosity? I'm, I'm very interested in that topic myself. How do you mean?
1: On overpopulation? Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, well, the previous UN projections, you know, showed
1: us topping out at about 10 to 11 billion in 2050, and then declining back down to about where we are now by 2100. But, you know, a couple of weeks ago they issued new projections, mainly because of Africa, um, that, you know, we're not gonna bottom out. You know, 2050 is probably gonna continue on. Um, so I think we, you know, to change that, we have to focus on Africa. Education, birth control, um, you know, prosperity. You know, you make people wealthier and they have fewer babies. You educate women and give them access to birth control they have fewer babies. You know, those sorts of things. But the, the influence of both religion, Catholicism, and
0: corrupt government governments in Africa has made that difficult. It, it certainly has. Um, so, okay, curious. Um, that, that might be worth doing a little bit more digging for anybody who's interested in that topic, the new statistics in that domain. Michael, like, I, I realize we're coming right up... Um, on time here. Um, if people want to learn more from you or, or, or think more thoroughly on these topics themselves, um, where can they not only go to learn more about you? I know your book Moral Arc is, is, uh, should be out by the time of, of the release of this this podcast here. If people want to learn more about you but also maybe any resources that you think are useful in terms of thinking skeptically, thinking more objectively about our own projections and, and, uh, and, and theories about the future, um, where would you point them online? MoralArc.org
1: is our website that's going to be tracking these sorts of things, the good news and the bad news, how things are changing in the positive direction or negative direction. So MoralArc.org, A-R-C.
0: Got it.
1: And, of course, Skeptic.com is our webpage for critical thinking and skepticism. And in both of those, there's, you know, about the authors. And uh, so you can read about it there. But those are the two sites, MoralArc.org and Skeptic.com.
0: Very good. Michael, thank you again very much for being here with us on Tech Emergence. You're welcome. Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker, Uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential, then make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, If you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, And be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, More than anything else, always feel free to reach out. If you can find us via email, um, you can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Uh, So with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week.